The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Wow, those songs and that meal was just what I needed to stir me from my snowy slumbers this morning. Thank you to each one of you for leading us in great worship. Every one of those songs was just a blessing. Open a Bible or a copy of it to Matthew chapter 6. Find verses 25 to 34. One of our certainly most, what do you call this? A favorite passage of scripture, certainly, and reassuring. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. My thanks to everyone who serves, whether on the worship team, in children's, or uh, set up. Thanks to the crew that came out yesterday to set everything up for us. Those who will stay today to put it all back. From Matthew chapter 6, we pick up at the 25th verse and invite you to stand in deference to God's word with me should you wish to do so. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please bless our pastor as he focuses our attention on these Words that your Holy Spirit used them to address our worry, our anxiety, that they be reassuring words of life and life eternal. In your Son's name I pray. Amen. 
You may be seated. Well, hello, my name is Pastor Brian, and I worry. Hello. So this sermon speaks to my sin and to yours as well. There are many things, good things, good desires and comforts and enjoyments of life that we fear will be taken from us, and therefore, we tend to worry. We want to do well. We want to be wise and provide and protect those that we love. We want to be comfortable. We want to enjoy life. And none of this is sinful. None of this is wrong. It's all understandable and even good and admirable to work toward and to provide for these things. And the thought of failing and losing causes us to sin by worrying. What's it for you? Is it finances, freedoms, health and comfort, caring for those that you love? Is it maybe life and death situations, reputation, all of the above? It's that fear... When you really think about it, it's the fear of the unknown that you can't control anything, really. That sense of not being able to control the future. We worry about good things, and Jesus knows that we do. He sympathizes with our human frailty, yet without sin. And he's aware of your particular concerns. He is with us. Certainly, in sharing communion together, we ought to know that. He is, he is in absolute control of our circumstances. And he tells us to have faith in him. And to not be anxious. You know, it might be helpful for me if I were to come to you and say, Hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm thinking of you. Don't worry. But what if Jesus were to say that to you? When we stop and realize that Jesus is not some distant figure in history in whom we only read about and follow, but that he is alive. He is sovereign. He is aware and sympathetic. He is with us, in control. And even commands that we trust God and not worry. When we grasp this reality, it should make a difference. It should really help. Imagine if Jesus were to walk in the room, give me that nod, and I step away and give him the stage. And he comes up and he turns and he he looks you right in the eye and says, Oh, you of little faith. Do you not believe that God is watching over you? Don't you know that he loves you and cares for you? Why are you anxious? Don't be anxious. I'm with you. I'll provide for what you need. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things that concern you, 
It'll work for your good. Trust me. What if that were to happen? Would that make that would make a difference, wouldn't it? We would receive that with a lot of weight. And yet Jesus said that it's better for you that he go to be with the Father because the Spirit will come. He indwells us and comforts us and guides us in all truth. So, that being said, Jesus is actually speaking to you through his word and the Spirit is at work within you, growing your faith. Helping you and me to not be anxious, to not worry, but to trust God. Last Sunday we looked at the 29th Psalm, which pictures God like a tornado that blows away false gods. Telling us to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Telling us that in doing so, in seeing Him for who He really is, that we will have strength and peace. And this morning we've heard a portion of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus speaking about the things that trouble us, telling us to make a priority of his kingdom, to have faith in him, to not put our trust in false gods, false gods of money and security and reputation. We began with verse 25 where Jesus says, Therefore, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But this word therefore points us back to an argument that Jesus made earlier. We began with Jesus saying, in essence, because of this, because of what I just said, therefore, don't worry. And it's interesting that when we go back and read his argument, his reason for us not to worry, it comes to us in the form of a choice. Will it be God or money? And usually a choice is not a reason. But if we follow the logic of Jesus, we see that it actually is. Jesus told us to consider and to choose between two two directions between two gods. The choices are between earth and heaven. We can store up and enjoy treasures here on earth, battling moths that eat and rust that corrodes, or we can store up treasures in heaven where they are safe with God forever. And the obvious question is, which treasure will last longer? Which one do you not need to worry about. As we plan and consider our lives, we must decide where to place our hearts, our affections. What do we think will bring us satisfaction? Do we look to, the, to wealth as the answer to that question, or do we look to God to be our satisfaction? Is it material goods or the kingdom? Are we generous and open or stingy and greedy? Which one of these choices do we think will give us a better life? 
And I know what you're thinking because it's what I tend to think. Lord, can it be a balance? Can't I work toward both? Your word tells me to be a hard worker, to be wise, and to put things away for a rainy day. So why does it have to be one or the other? And of course, this misses the point, doesn't it? Because it's not about your work, it's not about your effort, it's not about your planning. It's about our hope. It's about our confidence. It's about which one we trust, which God we trust. So I ask, what are you afraid of? Jesus isn't telling you to be careless with your money. He's not saying to not work hard, to not save and provide for your family. But he is challenging what you think will make you happy. He is challenging us to consider our priorities and what or who, and that who may be you, you ultimately trust. And for some of you, it seems maybe more a matter of survival than happiness. You're thinking, happiness? I'm just, I'm just trying to make it through the day. Maybe you're caring for a loved one with a disability. Not knowing this fearful thought, who's going to care for my child when I die? If I outlive him or her. And the principle is really the same because we're dealing with our inability to control earthly circumstances. And our hope, our confidence should be in the eternal promises of God. We don't know. We can't control what will happen tomorrow. But we know the one who does control tomorrow. We know his promises to us. Our eternity is certain. And we can know that. Right? You don't know what this life is going to bring, but you know the promise of God concerning eternity. And that is a reality And that ought to give us hope and confidence. And as for the uncertainty of life right now, well, Jesus tells us here that God will care for us in the midst of this life of sin and suffering, in the midst of our inability to control tomorrow. So we can trust him to care for our precious children, those affected by disability, those affected by our death or by our divorce maybe. Is God sovereign over our loved ones, our children, without us, without your care for them? Don't you know that he's not only sovereign over your life? Here's a a big reality to grasp. A lot of times, a lot of you just, you know, God is sovereign over my life. He's also sovereign over your children's lives. And if their lives are without you, he's going to work that for their good. It's hard to trust another person to give the kind of care that only a mother or father can give, especially with a child affected by disability. But we need to ask, 
can I trust God? Does he love them even more than I do? Is he better able to work in their lives for their good? Is that not possible without me? The question applies to all of us. It has to do with a perceived control. We know that we can't live forever, but if, if I have enough money, I may be able to guarantee the happiness of my loved ones. And so, ultimately, it does boil down to a question of what will make me happy. It will make me happy that if I die, my loved ones will be cared for. That assurance, that will make me happy. And it comes back to, is it God or is it money? If our treasure is God, then God promises to care for our physical needs. And if this is true, then it it also applies to the future of our nation. Because God is our God and He promises to care for our needs. And He specifically tells us, do not be anxious about your life. And one of the practical applications concerning this involves the church. For God has not saved you simply as an individual, but he has saved you into a body. A body made up of many parts. This is his plan. This is his will. This is his doing. He did not save you into a general, universal, disconnected Christianity where you can avoid people and worship up on the mountain somewhere alone. He has placed you into a community, into a church, brothers and sisters who love you, people whom God uses and moves to care for you when you're in need. We are not simply a place to collect where we sing and say hello and hear a speech. It may seem like that at times, but God is very intentional in providing for us and calling us to love, most of all, those within the church. God's church is a means of God's provision. Think about that. God's church is a way in which he loves you and provides for you. He can provide in a variety of ways, but he glorifies himself as he cares for us through his church. And so if we avoid his church, we avoid his will for us and his care for us. So think, of, think rightly about your faith. The church is God's gift, his means of ministering to you and sanctifying you. It's the body that you are connected to. It's the community where you give of your time and your skill, your loving wisdom and counsel, your money. It's where you give. And we hear that a lot. It's you come and you give. But let me also say, you come and you receive. We do both. You receive what God is giving you through his body. So, this is where you give and this is where you receive. God says that he will provide for us physically. And so those physical needs are met through your physical and financial gifts, your offerings of worship to God, 
that He uses to lovingly provide. And if you've ever been blessed with a financial gift from the church, you need to see it for what it is. It's God's money. It's God's work. It's His love to you. It's His care for you. And this won't happen if we hunker down and in fear and tighten our belts and trust in our money. And that we don't continue to give as God has told us to give. And we are blessed with a very generous church. But times are uncertain and giving is down. And if we're going to be the church, being used of God to provide when needs do arise, then we must trust Him. We must function as His body and not pull away and trust in our money. And let me get real practical here. Some of you are very disciplined in your giving. God bless you. You have a check ready each week and you drop it in a giving box as a part of your worship. And then there are others of you like me who are better off setting up automatic gifts on our website because I'm not so disciplined and I forget. And and an automatic setup doesn't require me to remember. And I do this because I'm more concerned about my heart's attitude, my heart's desire to actually give and not to be tempted to miss a week because of an unforeseen expense that I start to worry about, and then I pull back, and I don't give. So for me, I'd rather set a goal for giving, a percent of God's provision that's given to the church for the sake of His kingdom work. I'd rather come to year end and see that faith commitment met instead of those months where I fearfully pulled back. And now it's maybe too late to catch up. Some of you may be resistant to this form of giving because it seems impersonal or because you think it may be um, something that robs you of your weekly worship. And to you, I'd suggest, wouldn't it it be better to actually give? And isn't it just as worshipful to give? Stop and to pray each Sunday, remembering and thanking God for His provision and asking that your offering that's already been given be used for His glory. Instead of a good intention, wouldn't it be better to actually give? To invest in God's kingdom. Instead of setting yourself up for temptations to skip a month, wouldn't it be better to set up an automatic gift and trust God with that throughout the year. One brother asked me about this. He he was concerned about whether he's being controlled by tradition or whether he'd be missing out on something. And he asked me this because he discovered that his workplace would actually give a percent toward charitable gifts when taken out of his check at, at payroll. And he thought, wouldn't that be terrific? Discovered that Bear Creek Church actually qualified for that. But he asked me, he said, you know, I I don't want to miss out on anything. But am I being controlled by tradition? And he decided to not only 
take advantage of that opportunity, but he and his wife decided to increase their gift. And I just thought, wow, how creative to give in a way where your workplace actually contributes to the kingdom. And as for the weekly act of giving, when we talked it over, we decided, you know, it's a matter of the heart and not simply a matter of the hand dropping off a check in a box. So what a joy to be a part of God's kingdom. What a reassuring joy to know that we are a family and that God promises to care for our physical needs. And if this is the church that he's placed you in, then be active, be giving, be committed to his work, even or especially in times of uncertainty. The amount, the percentage is between you and the Lord. But we all need to trust God. And this is an area that's hard for us to trust. So give. We need to give what is His. Prioritizing His kingdom. And not tightening our belts in fear. Waiting for a better time. A time wrongly assumed because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. A time that may never actually come. If we live for riches, we live for a weak God, a God who cannot protect what is most precious to us. If we serve money, it's natural to worry about wealth, whether we have a lot or a little. Our faith is not measured in how much or how little we have, but in the God that we trust. And this will be evident in either our freedom to give without worry or our enslavement to hang on to what will not last. So let this be your worship. Not the physical act of dropping off some cash, but your ongoing expression of thankfulness that everything is His. And your hope and your satisfaction is in the eternal God, the God of all creation, and not the fleeting God who cannot satisfy. God knows our needs. He loves us and cares for us. He knows that we're prone to worry. And instead of just saying, stop it, Jesus says, he gives some logical arguments, some reasons, some illustrations to to calm our hearts and to teach us to trust him. So let's consider those. In verse 25, he commands us to not be anxious about food and clothing. And the reason he gives is because God cares for all of life, which includes food and clothing and everything else. His reasoning goes from the greater to the lesser. If God cares for the greater thing, the whole of life, then obviously he cares for the lesser thing, the things that make up the whole of life. In other words, if we worry about food and drink and clothing, then where does it end? Haven't we only just begun? What about war and disease and terrorism and wildfires? What about pollution, artificial intelligence, Microchips, vaccines, economic disaster, the growing population of wild turkeys in the Rogue Valley. Where is it going to end? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. 
if we believe that God cares for the greater, about life itself, then we should trust him to care for its parts. And when we are confident that God sovereignly provides for our material needs, then we are freed up to seek his kingdom. So reason number one is that life is bigger than food and clothing. And if God cares for the bigger, then he cares for the smaller parts that make up the bigger. The second reason to not worry is actually the mirror image of this. The first, in the first, Jesus reasons from the greater to the lesser, and now he reasons from the lesser to the greater. Reason number two, don't worry about your life because God cares for the birds. Since God cares for lesser things like the birds, he'll certainly care for us because we are greater, more valuable than they are. Hopefully, I assume that if you, if you have a dog or a cat, that you're a responsible owner. Can we say owner still? It's a um, caretaker or pet parent, I believe. Owner, okay. So if you have a dog or cat, hopefully you are a responsible owner. And I assume that you give it fresh water and food that you don't neglect it. And if you also have children, what would it say if you fed your dog but didn't feed your own son or daughter? If we see our neighbor taking good care of her yard and animals, the assumption is that she's also much more taking care of her precious children. When we look at creation with a right view of God and the earth bears witness of his love and care that the birds, they work hard, but Unlike people, they don't go to the organizational efforts of planting and harvesting and storing food into barns. And yet, these birds don't starve. When we see this reality in God's creation, wouldn't it be reasonable to believe that the good providence of God is enjoyed by both the birds and us? And if we're much more valuable to Him than mere birds... Shouldn't we be confident of the providence of God? So much so that we are freed up to seek his kingdom. A third reason Jesus tells us not to worry is that it it doesn't accomplish anything. And we of all people living in a pragmatic culture should agree. Will worrying help? Will it change anything? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life, Jesus asks. Only an hour? Such a little thing. And worrying can't even do that. So why bother is the argument. Why bother? What good is it? It doesn't work. It's not helping you. In fact, if anything, it's shortening your life. Instead of wasting time worrying, how about Investing time in prayer. Cast all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. God is sovereign. He loves you. He cares for you. He tells us to give Him our worries. To put them on Him. And let Him 
deal with them. Let him be concerned about them. And in the knowledge that he invites this and is perfect in goodness, promising to give us what is best, since he is the Almighty One, all-powerful, nothing is impossible for him, then why would we worry? Worry doesn't change anything, but prayer does. And this isn't to say that God is some genie where we make a wish and he'll give us our every heart's desire. No, thankfully, he is perfect in knowledge and wisdom and power and goodness and love. And the combination of these attributes should make us very thankful that he will answer our prayers perfectly. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes now, sometimes wait. But always perfect. In hindsight, we see that it's always perfect. God promises to give you grace. God promises to give you grace in the midst of your troubles. I love remembering the advice given to many of you women years ago from a past conference speaker, Elise Fitzpatrick, who said something along these lines. She said, God is faithful to give you the needed grace for what you're actually going through. He doesn't give you grace today for your imagined tomorrow. So worrying doesn't change anything. It doesn't bring us the grace that we need, but prayer will. Faith in our good and sovereign God will give us the grace to endure what we are actually experiencing. Remember, Jesus said in verse 34, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A fourth reason not to worry is that God cares for flowers and grass. Once again, Jesus looks to the lower creation, reasoning from the lesser to the greater. First he mentions the birds, and now he gives flowers and grass as an example. And though Scripture often uses flowers and grass as an illustration of human frailty and that life is fleeting, Jesus gives a a different lesson with flowers and grass. On, On the one hand, life is short and easily extinguished. But on the other hand, if God lavishes such care on lilies which bloom for only a few days, and on animals that live for only a few years, then how much more will he care for us? We live longer than most creatures. And even though life is confined and restricted by time, God's love extends beyond time. From everlasting to everlasting. And unlike the animals, God's love was proven to us at the cross. And having won us over, now He calls us to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. The last phrase in verse 30 deserves our attention. If God so clothes the grass of the field, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is primarily talking to disciples. His listeners had faith, but they were worrying, which reveals a lack of faith. They had a little faith, but they needed strong faith. How do we get a strong faith? What did Jesus encourage his hearers to do? Did he tell them to look deep within inside themselves and to work up feelings of trusting God? No. He told them to think about God's care of creation. Don't look in. Look out. See. Open your eyes and see what God is doing. Look out at the birds and consider them. Look out and observe the lilies and the grass, the animals and plants which point beyond themselves, which point to God, their caretaker. Strong faith knows that God dresses the lower creation, and He will also dress us. He dresses them better than Solomon could dress himself. So why worry? And in telling us not to worry, Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't be wise, that you shouldn't work hard, that you shouldn't plan for a rainy day. And when I remind you to hope only in Jesus and to not hope in Jesus plus a president or Jesus plus a political party. Likewise, it's not to say that we shouldn't be involved, that we shouldn't speak the truth, but we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't act like unbelievers. We shouldn't use our concern as an excuse for disobeying or misrepresenting our Lord. The point is, there is a kingdom, and we are to seek it first. And when we seek it first, all of the other lesser things, important as they may be, they'll find their proper place. God will see to it. So work hard. Earn money. Save plan, make wise investments, and be involved with righteousness and truth. Be salt and light. Be generous. Represent Jesus well. And if we have a strong faith that trusts in His sovereign care, then we will be free of worry. Free to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not worrying, but trusting that All these things, all our needs, all that rightly concerns us will be added to us, given from God's good and strong and perfect hand. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we believe. Help our unbelief. Be merciful to us sinners who foolishly worry, trusting our own efforts, our own perceived control more than our loving Father. Jesus, thank you for being our merciful and faithful high priest.
Thank You for being righteous where we were sinful. Thank You for Your love and power, for Your teaching, Your command to us to not be anxious, and for pointing us to Your Father, who perfectly cares for not only His creation, but for His much-loved sons and daughters. Father, thank You for Your church for saving us and fitting us together as a body with parts working together. Thank you for each one and their place in this church, for the gifts that you've given to every single person and the ways in which you call each of us to love each other, to care for one another, to both give and receive, to serve and be served. Help us to see this as your sovereign care and to give you praise. May your spirit be at work in our lives, Lord, prompting us to pray and not worry, to trust you and not be overcome with anxiety. Lord, make our faith strong for the sake of your kingdom and our joy. We praise you, God, three in one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.